to Sam Walking in the World, episode 37. I'm going to skip my intro. Um, I don't know if anyone knew, but um, Amazon Web Services was down yesterday. Otherwise, I would have published this episode yesterday with all the frills. But being that today is Thanksgiving and I'm going to spend the day enjoying it, I am going to make this an abbreviated version of Sam Walking in the World, episode 37. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, by the way, today is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 37. Now I'd like to talk about humans getting to know each other as humans. I know that sounds like a very strange topic. I think it goes back to when I talked in an earlier episode about conventionality. Um, I got thinking about this because of the time of year, I guess. You hear people talking a lot about about um, people coming together. Coming together for Thanksgiving. Coming together for the holidays. And it's so funny because I'm almost tempted to mention that I'm not talking about politics. Like, um, because there's so much in the media right now about how this incoming administration, the Biden administration, is going to reunite us <clears throat> as a country. The divisiveness is going to end and all that. I'm not talking about that at all. In fact, I'm actually talking about the opposite of that, which means I kind of, I, I guess, am talking about that. But I'm not going to talk about that. Um uh, uh, only in so far as it isn't what I'm talking about. If that makes any sense, <laughs> you it will as I go along. First of all, on that topic, I don't think it's up to political structures to bring people together. And the fact that somebody might even say that it's a, it now finally <clears throat> we'll be able to get beyond the divisiveness of the Trump administration. And we can all unite now because of the Biden administration, because Biden is a uniter and Trump was a divider. Just the statement that Trump was a divider is a divisive statement. Imagine you're a Trump supporter and somebody calls your political leader a divider so the person you support is being spoken about in not only a negative way but in, in a negative way that suggests that he and you are divisive because you support him immediately a barrier is put up between that person and you that statement alone created at least a, a psychological division you don't know why they would say that you see it differently you I mean, the very, the very idea that in the media, especially, you hear people saying how so-and-so is a uniter and so-and-so is a divider. Just the simple calling of people that is a divider. And, if, and I got thinking more and more about why people tend to do it. I don't know if they need to do it, although I suspect they do. Because <clears throat> I, I believe most people are the way they need to be. And we'll get more into detail as this dribbles out of my head but again I, my my original thoughts on this were not um, political 
but it was just another example of, as I was thinking about it, of how there are so many natural dividers that exist among people that prevent them from, quote, coming together. And uh, I, I, I originally named this podcast Sam Walking in the World because um, it was during a time of my life when I was having to kind of reassess who I was because I was an unhappy person and I was trying to figure out why. And I know that a lot of it had to do with aspects of identity that I was caught up with and I was trying to preserve who I was, was certain things, certain names, certain monikers, certain roles. And I noticed that I I got gradually happier as I eliminated those monikers and became eventually what I thought of myself as simply a person in the world. Not a Democrat or Republican, not a son or a father, not a a male or a female, even in that sense. I mean, obviously I believe I'm one of them, but it wasn't, I didn't have any of those primary things. Oh no, I'm sorry. They're not even primary. Any of those secondary things that I think are so dominant in our culture that are actually the dividers of people. We're thinking about Thanksgiving. One of the biggest topics I've heard is how am I going to deal with my family? We're so different. So-and-so thinks this, so-and-so thinks that, so-and-so's got money, so-and-so doesn't. Um, you know, so-and-so has strong opinions about this. People have strong opinions to the opposite. Um, certain people have expectations of other people because of where they fit in the family. Preconceived notions based on previous experience with people. Oh, so-and-so is going to be like this. I know as soon as they walk in the door, they're going to fill in the blank and part of I think as I think more and more about it I think part of it is conventions first of all let me go all the way back humans connecting to humans is what I wanted to talk about I feel like if everyone was honest or when they're honest everyone is honest at some point and dishonest at some point. But when people are honest, I think that maybe maybe they don't even know it, aren't even aware of the dynamic. Because there are some people who are, you know, they don't think metacognitively. In other words, they don't think about their thinking. But they are thinking nonetheless. So maybe it's not on a conscious level. But I think most people are happy when they feel like someone understands them as a human being what matters to them, what they consider precious, um, the respect they want to be given, or the value they want to see placed on them or feel, the worth they want to feel, I guess ultimately it comes down to that, the worth that people want to feel. And um, it just becomes degrees of separation as people feel distance from that sense of worth. And we do it to each other. And some of them are more egregious degrees of separation, like political. Sometimes like financial, at least perceived degree of difference based on how rich or poor somebody is. Race, 
how there's a perceived difference between people based on how they imagine themselves perceived racially, how they want to be perceived racially. And so, so much of this stuff ends up having an effect on a person's self-worth. But I think if everyone were able to see it honestly, they would really want, and, and many do, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying people don't, but people would like to be appreciated and connected with, understood as a human being without any of those you know, conventional indicators. I'm supposed to talk to my aunt like this because she's my aunt. My aunt's really weird because she talks about stuff that, like, normally an aunt wouldn't talk about. And I'm the one that's putting the barrier up. Oftentimes. I have a really cool aunt. I have more than one really cool aunt. But I have one that I'm thinking of. And and she's an outside-of-the-box thinker. And then, and she's not weird for the sake of being weird and trying to shock or, or you know, present herself as unique. She just is. And I always like talking to her because almost none of our conversation is driven in the context of our aunt to nephew relationship. We really do connect to each other as human beings. I feel like when I talk to her, she understands essentially what it is for me to be Sam. And I feel like she understands, I feel like she knows I understand who she is as a human being. The things that matter to her, the stuff that interests her, what moves her, what she values. And then there, and there's always things that people have in common. You know, some people talk about travel. Um, some people talk about like okay, cooking, sports, even politics. But it's through the prism of you're a human, I'm a human. What are the things that we're talking about that actually matter? And it can become frustrating, I suppose, when you feel feel those layers, those, I guess you can call them borders, that block the human from touching the human. And um, a lot of it, I think, comes down to the fact that people are, well, first of all, the negative emotion that underlies every other negative emotion is fear. Fear that I'm going to lose something that I have or fear that I'm not going to get something that I want. And many of these things you can't even put in the palm of your hand. They're like um, a perception of significance that I want to have and you're not recognizing it. Or um, a, a feeling of uh, innocence on, on a certain topic that you consider me guilty and I want you to think of me as innocent. Or knowledge. You, I want you to see me as just as intelligent as you are, or just as knowledgeable. They are different, knowledge and intelligence. But, and you're not letting me see myself that way in this interaction. So I'm losing that idea that I had of myself as this a person who's this smart. You're not acknowledging that. And so I'm, I'm being stripped of that sense of self. 
and fear ends up causing people and, and I mean everyone I'm not this is not me talking about other people it's me talking about people um it causes uh, us to put our guard up it causes us to be less likely to allow ourselves to be vulnerable if I and engage with you human to human you might know my fear or you might take advantage of my fear you might use that opening as an opportunity to gratify yourself in some way. You know, cast yourself in a better light than me because I've allowed you that opening or allowed you to form uh, an opinion of me now that you know that I, um, you know, don't have the thousands of dollars in the bank and that I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Now that I've shared that with you, because as a human, I have it as a fear and I, I need kind of some kind of companionship to help me realize that's okay. And I'm reaching out to another human and you're using it as a way of belittling me. I maybe I'm afraid you're going to talk about it to other people and you and they are going to belittle me. So I, again, I know that I'm kind of rambling around here, but this is what I was thinking about. And, and conventions play such a huge part of it. We are so, in my opinion, we're so not used to thinking of ourselves in, in, in the simplest terms, human being. Uh, like I was thinking, I just had like a, a quick flash in my head. I was thinking of like standing in line at the bank Right, and you look at the person who's in line in front of you or behind you. It works even better when you think of the person in line behind you, because they have a, an extra person that they have to wait for to get take care of their bank business before they can take care of theirs. And most people are in a hurry. I don't even know why. Um, I think usually the answer for why you're in a hurry is because you're doing too much. I know that's why I'm usually in a hurry. I've, I've uh, again, speaking of things like this, I, I've preset in my mind an idea of what I ought to get done. When I don't feel like those things are going to be able to get done, I feel like I'm lacking in some way. The, the convention of how much I ought to complete the items on my agenda is a convention. But I imagine myself standing in line with the person at the bank and I don't know if you ever noticed this, and this is kind of another thing that got me thinking down this train of thought is most people don't have a content expression on their face. When you see them through their window in, in their car at an intersection or a stoplight, when you see them in line at the bank, when you cross paths with them in the, in the little drive out in front of the grocery store, when you're on your way in or out, I bet most people would not be proud of the face that they have on during those times. And it's like the, the reason why I think it's okay for people to feel like it's I, the reason why I think it's people feel like it's okay to have that blank, almost distressed expression on their face is because they're getting something done. They don't, they don't have time for pleasantness. 
or, or contentment. I have to get in there. I have to get a turkey, a ham, potatoes. Um, I know it's going to be a bear waiting in line. I know there's probably going to be some fool in front of me. I'm going to have to be watching where I'm walking because people are going to just put their carts in the way. Or I know this bank line is going to go slow. I look at these people up there chatting with people. Just get, take care of your business and get out of here. Don't they understand that I have to get back to my house so I can be happy? I have to get all this food so I can go cook it and please the people in my life that I love. Make them happy. Damn it, it's taking too long. And I do it. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, again, I think it has a lot to do with conventions. Conventions are structures that are built, I think, as crutches. Um, but also kind of, I mean, not, not, not even crutches in just a bad way. Crutches in a good way. If you're hurting some way, you need a crutch. Or if you're, but, but you know what? It gets dangerous when if you think you might be hurt, you have a crutch. Right? Fear of breaking your leg shouldn't be the reason to walk around in crutches. And um, I think it occurs more than we realize. My dad, for example. Um, my dad and I have a great relationship. But I can't help but, but feel the structure of, of that convention, our relationship. He's my father. I'm his son. So when we talk about things, it's almost impossible to not see ourselves inside of that structure, that box, so to speak. And that's just the way the way it goes. I'm a little bit less so, I have to admit. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I'm a little bit less so. I'm sorry, no, just sorry, Dad. <laughs> I'm a little bit less aware of the structure when I'm talking to my mother. I, th I think mo mostly, most of the time, my mother and I do simply communicate human to human. I don't have to refrain from aspects of myself when I talk to her. Um, I know she's she's always advocating for religion and sees things through a religious perspective. And I think religion just happens to be her path to spirituality. Um, and I, I don't allow that to interfere. I, I, I'm able to somehow circumvent it or accept it, maybe, and, and communicate all the way through to the human being that's standing there, who happens to be my mother, who happens to be religious. Those are all incidental. They are not essential to our connection. Because so you strip all the rest of the crap away, and essentially we are the same. You're humans who want to be accepted, understood, in some cases validated. But I think it's a fear of being that open. For some people, it's just a not a knowledge. They, a lot of people just aren't used to, because probably they haven't really developed, younger people, this is the case, they haven't really developed their, their true concept of self. I think for in many cases it's because they haven't even begun to develop an awareness of what it means to be a self, to have a person, to be a person in the world. 
And so while you're growing up, conventions help because they help create, uh, I don't know, like a skeletal structure to your being before you know, you know, what the meat is going to be on the skeleton. And, and when you don't know what you are yet or who you are, and you know, the adolescents do this, they try on different people as their self. Because they know moving around, they're going to need to have some self that they put out there, at least a, a, a perception of self. They want to have other people be able to look at them and see. And it's just because they haven't lived long enough to, to have formed their own idea of what matters to them, what they value, what they hold precious, all that stuff. And so they're kind of shells in a way that are still forming inside. But some people, it lasts well into their adulthood. And the most telltale sign is that expression on their face. We'll be like, I'm a human being. I'm the clo right now. This is funny. Like the woman at the bank, right? Right now, I'm the closest human being to her in the universe. I'm a foot and a half away. Well, before COVID. I'm a foot and a half away. <clears throat> And the human, and you're a human, and you're a foot and a half away from me. And we are could not actually be in each other's mind further than each other, from each other. And I just wonder why. And I, it's so funny how when somebody breaks the convention, they're thought of as weird. And I think a lot of times it's fear because they, they don't want to have an opening. They don't know how weird you might be. But to, to when people are disarmed of that, because clearly they're not aware of the expression on their face. And if uh, uh, usually it takes an external event, like someone will slip and fall. And then they'll both get to share witnessing the event of that person slipping and falling. Either they have an immediately shared concern for that person's well-being or the person is okay and just clumsy, and then they have a shared laugh, hopefully good-natured, <laughs> but a shared laugh at how silly what happened just was. Or a puppy will be there, and they'll have a shared feeling of how cute the puppy is, and then they will be able to connect. The mask goes away, and there's two people that immediately have something in common that doesn't threaten them, and now a connection can be formed. But... There are spot the, the people that I like most in my life don't need one of those occurrences. And I don't even mean people I know. I've had experiences where I'll just be in line with somebody at the grocery store or at the bank. And that's just the, the most common example I can think of. So I'm sure there's way more of them. But be standing there with somebody and they'll just kind of be swiveling their head a little bit, trying to pass the time while they're waiting in line. And they'll make eye contact with you. And, and they'll be like, you know, Think it's going to snow a lot today? Or, God, I hate waiting. Or, beautiful day, isn't it? Or, um, I like that hat. You think the Yankees are going to win this year? And I, I noticed that, my, I never have this feeling. I know I'm weird. But I never have this feeling of like, why are you talking to me? I don't know you. Like, we're just different species. Like, 
and but but most often the person is pleasantly surprised by the fact that you've now become a human in front of them and it and it, oddly it ends up making the wait in line a little bit easier i always used to wonder what it meant to be alienated i used to read in school i have to read like books or uh, i remember reading uh ordinary people it ended up becoming a movie with uh, Donald Sutherland and um, oh, I forget the kid's name. He went on to become a famous actor. Not so much now, though. But he, um, he, the son. It was a, it was a middle, upper middle class family, and everything seemed to be fine. The son ended up committing suicide, and it was about alienation. How the, the son never felt truly connected to people especially the people he was supposed to be connected to most, his family, his, his parents, especially his father. His father was very stoic, very traditional, and he felt alienated. I used to wonder, what does that even mean, alienated? And it makes you feel like an alien? I didn't get it. And over time, <clears throat> I've gradually come to understand what it means. And it is, I think, what I'm describing, this sense that you're true self is disconnected from the true selves of others for whatever reason you can't either allow it out or no one else is willing to see beyond the walls of their conventions and connect to you as a human being because really what else is there everything else we do is a construction you know like i'll give you an example i like to think that the reason why i do my job and follow the rules this is my, my own particular example. I'm a teacher. Why I like to make sure that um, I follow the expectations that my principal has of me is because I know they're the right expectations to have because they're the right things to do. It makes it, it makes it so much easier for me to do as I'm told when it's not really doing as I'm told. It's doing what that person expects because it's the right thing. It is not on the basis of authority that I know to do the right thing. I almost imagine myself in that person's spot having to be the one that has to get everyone to do the right thing. You don't have to be in their classroom on time when the students arrive. I under, even though sometimes I'm not, but understanding that that person it might be coming from above that person and they're passing it down. And, and and my connection to that my connection to my principal is excellent, by the way, but it's more I see him as a human being trying to do the job of a person in this position. And I agree with the, the intrinsic value of it. So I think, all right, I'm, I, I'm not just doing my job. I'm doing what ought to be what the right thing is so i don't need him to tell me it and i at the same time i don't mind him to tell me it because it's his job he has to make sure he tells everybody but i make it as easy as possible for him to understand that i know it's just the right thing it's not because of this convention of you're the boss i'm the employer i mean employee and i think in in this example bosses really appreciate it a lot more when people that they supervise understand understand it less in terms of I said so you do and more like this is what we all agree is the right thing to do 
or at least most of us, or at the very least, the the people that I supervise understand that I'm told what to do from people above me. And so we have a human connection. We're able to have one because I, I don't need us to rely on the relationship based on authority because I don't ever bring it into question. Things like that. Um, there are plenty of others where if you can get through the ostensible framework of your relationship and get to the fact that they're a human and you're a human, um, everybody is more compatible. So I guess my th I, I think it's why the defining kind of principle in my life has been is meant to simply be a person walking in the world. I believe you all have, everyone has God-given talents and gifts that, are, that I believe God wants us to share. And it's very, very easy to share them without the constraints of these other things that people place on themselves and the people place on people. Um, and so I always feel, well, m almost always feel like the, weird person having the audacity to to joke with the person in line with me look at this guy talking to me in line what a weirdo when really all they really do want is to be connected to and i can also tell when someone wants to be left alone and i can be the good i'm really good at leaving someone alone if i get the sense that that's what they want so as the holidays approach, my humble advice and what I'm going to try to do is to, in each and every encounter I have with another human being, I'm going to try to see them as a human being and myself as a human being. And I recommend it to you too. I hope that made some kind of sense. It felt good for me though. I'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 37. This is a special segment of Sam Walking in the World because it is Sam Driving in the World. In case you hear any background noise. I'll do my best to keep this PG-13, so I don't want to give anyone the finger over the air. So I'll drive carefully and patiently. <clears throat> but I wanted to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving because I was thinking about it. Whenever you run into people as it approaches Thanksgiving, everyone talks about what the basic question is pretty much like, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? And the answer is pretty much, uh, you know, spend some time with my family, together with some people. It varies in degree from person to person, but generally it's about the same. You know, getting together, <clears throat> um, eating Thanksgiving food, talking about how you're going to be full, uh, sometimes talking about how your diet goes out the window. Um, maybe the football game. How to avoid talking about politics. And then it's over. And then the question immediately following Thanksgiving, when you're back into the world and your regular routine, you ask, how was your Thanksgiving? And everyone says, oh my God, I ate too much. Oh, my family's crazy. Oh God. Got to start shopping for Christmas now. <clears throat> I 
it's the same exact thing. What I find ironic about it is that, like, you could cook this food any time of year if you wanted. Any day. You could make mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy. Well, maybe gravy takes a little bit longer. <clears throat> but turkey. Turkey is the blandest food in the world. It's like the food equivalent of water. I actually asked my students, like, what percentage of their stomach are they going to fill with various things? And this one student, I have Matthew, he explained it to me, and it was really genuine. It was like he thought about it, and he thought this percent turkey, this percent mashed potatoes and gravy, this percent stuffing, this percent cranberries, which surprised me. When <clears throat> when else, other than Thanksgiving, would you would cranberry sauce or cranberries appear normal on your plate? Would you like a side of cranberries with that? Um, sure. I think a Big Mac... Uh, large fries and some cranberry sauce. I'd like the soup and sandwich, please, but instead of the soup, could I have the cranberry sauce? Sure. We have it ready all year long. <clears throat> or the cranberry sauce. The cranberries you get out of the can, and it's the mold of the can when you dump it out. That's <laughs> uh, so authentic. I don't mind the taste of cranberries. They seem to have weaseled their way into every drink. I think pomegranate's taking them over now. The pomegranate people have a better uh, advertising campaign. It's like pomegranate, the new cranberry. Anyway, I get way off track. Um, but I, it got me thinking. First of all, everyone talks about tryptophan. That's the other thing. And, and like most people can't remember it. They're like, what is that chemical in Turkey? <laughs> Count how many times you hear it. Tryptophan. It's some enzyme that supposedly makes you tired. I think it's true that it does, but I, I think you have to eat like an elephant amount of it. I think what really makes you tired on Thanksgiving is that you're full of starchy, starchy foods that causes almost all the blood in your body to go to your stomach. And so you get lightheaded. And the Detroit Lions are boring. They usually play inside a dome. You know, it's all, it, it's all boring. And, like, they usually aren't in the running in any division to win the division. And, and it's just, I guess it's tradition, but it's one of those traditions that's like, if it didn't happen, I don't think anybody would notice. But I guess people in Detroit probably look forward to it. I guess. I don't know. But anyway... Um, I, it reminded me of one of those commercials that I see all the time for um, ketoacidosis. Tell me if you remember any commercial like this where there's a man and you see his profile. And he's probably ordinarily proportioned in every other way except for his, like, big monkey belly. It's like it, go, it goes from just above his belly button and it kind of slopes out and down to the bottom underneath his belly button. And it looks like the guy could be in shape. He's like an eyelash away from getting in shape, but he can't because that part of his body just won't have the fat go away. And they say something like, I think it's called insulin insulin resistance. If you have fat in a certain place for long enough, um, it's really, really hard to make it go away. But I have to imagine, I mean, I'm experiencing it myself. That's why I was considering it. The last part of my body that 
is on its way to fitness is my pectoral muscles are fatty and my belly. And and it's they're both gradually getting smaller just because of the normal processes of, of diet and exercise. But there's like a medicine you can take, I guess. And it always cracks me up when you see the before and after picture of the guy. The first picture is him from the side, and it's like this giant, bulbous monkey belly. And he's all hairy, and he looks unhappy, and the lighting is bad. And then, and then, in the after picture, he is markedly thinner, maybe three inches off his waist. But like the lighting is much better. He's shaved. He's tanned. He's smiling. The picture is kind of from the front and side, so you don't see quite the sloping belly. It's <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? I do want to get in shape. I got to get some better lighting. I want to. I need to go tanning. I got to shave up my body. And I think I just need to smile more. I don't know. Take at least five pounds off. I don't know how much truth there is to actually taking the medicine. Because here's why. I call this my kitchen counter theory. My wife has trouble not cluttering the kitchen counter. When it's clear, it's so inviting to just put stuff on it because there's empty places on it and you don't want to hold your bag anymore when you walk in the kitchen. Or your keys, or your phone, or your charger. Or if you're carrying like papers of some kind or the mail, it's so inviting. You just toss it down and then you go about your day. Maybe you make some food and and, uh, the salt ends up being left out. And then the dog leash, because you got back from the walk, there's still some counter left. And that ends up seeming to be where everything stays. And, And then it ends up uninviting because there's nowhere to put anything. And it, it draws to mind whether or not there are actually are places for that stuff that's on the counter. If you get yourself in the habit of putting that stuff, it, at least eventually, I can see just when you first walk in, ah, oh, I love that. And I am a, a big proponent of just dropping things. I talked about that in another episode. Just drop it. But then you have to be in the habit then of when you cross its path again and you don't have anything to do putting it in its place so you kind of regenerate the open counter and I gotta give kudos to my wife on this for the last I don't know we we took all the stuff we don't use and all the old stuff and spoiled stuff out of all the kitchen cabinets we did it selfishly because our daughter's coming home and she's an amazing cook and so we want it to be an as inviting a kitchen as it can be with everything you where she could easily find it. I'm not kidding. She's not like, oh, so-and-so's a good cook. This girl could cook professionally. And it's not even like her major interest. She's good at everything, though. And I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter. Because you know what? She's not my daughter. She's my stepdaughter. So I at least have one degree of objectivity. So anyway, um, for the last, going on two weeks now, my counters have been clear. And it's nice. Because the habit has changed. Now, if we stayed in the same habit, we would be right back in the same spot. The, the cabinets would be cluttered with like four different kinds of confectionery sugar that we don't use. Um, oatmeal that's like three years old. 
some stuff like just breadcrumbs. We had four kinds of breadcrumbs, flavored, unflavored, original, in those Quaker-shaped boxes, the round containers. They just do nothing but take up the space. So if we went back to our old habits, they would all get congested again, the cabinets, and so would the counter. But we haven't. And I, I'm really practicing the idea of let something sit there for a while, kind of an OCD check. Let something sit there for a while and give it the opportunity to be moved instead of immediately going, hey, are you going to leave that there? And my wife has been up to the challenge and has put things back. I think she has now found the utility of, of following that habit. And plus, my daughter is more likely to cook. And so... It was a garbage truck I just drove by. And so, um, what does this have to do with ketoacidosis? If you take the medicine, or like those cooling things, like they, they freeze away your fat by rubbing that stuff on it. If you do any measure like that, but maintain your normal habits, your gut's going to come back. If you make your habits such that the gut will gradually disappear then you won't need to take the medicine or the cooling product or whatever it is in the first place. It's like, it almost seems like it's made for people who are going to use it and then go exactly back to the place that they were. I could be wrong. There could be some one and doneers, but if you're a one and doneer, it means you've changed your habits. And if you've changed your habits, why do you need it? And I think it's because you relate to the man who's looks awful silhouetted in the bad lighting with a hairy body. Um, I guess I went way off on the tangent on that, but it kind of relates to Thanksgiving, I guess. Sort of. Anyway, I've pulled into my driveway now, and so this segment of Sam Driving in the World is over. I will be back after these messages. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. Sam is still driving in the world. I'm really sorry about the background noise. Um, I think these Sam driving in the world segments are best listened to when you're driving. Because then the background noise of my car will blend with the background noise of your car. I highly recommend that. Plus, um, your mind will be on something while you're getting from here to there. and It'll be like you got there quicker. Um, I wanted to talk about this. I hear this all the time. And I guess this would be um, considered language stuff. And it's when people say, frankly... Frankly, and I, and I think it's a good idea, frankly, or I think it's important that we remember that we should always be conscious of what we're doing, you know, to be frank about it. Or um, he's a much better quarterback than the backup quarterback, so I, I, I think that they're going to be in trouble if he gets hurt, frankly. Frankly, I think the Detroit Lions um, would be a better team if... Oh, you like Joe Biden? Frankly, I think that he's um, uh, just another mechanism of the government machine. Or Trump is Trump is ignorant, frankly. He's ignorant, frankly. Now, may I speak frankly? I always wonder when I hear that. Because it sounds to me like that's like a mode a mode of speech. I'm going to switch to my speaking frankly mode. My question is, what's the other mode? Like what, when you're done speaking frankly, because you just informed me that you're going to be speaking frankly. 
when you're done being frankly, what manner of speaking do you go back to? I'm, I'm done speaking frankly. You, know, you never announce when you're done speaking frankly. You always announce before it. Frankly, if I may say frankly, and then you never ever tell us when you're going to be not frank anymore. It's like, I'm done being frank now. I'm going to go back to beating around the bush with vagaries. It's a, just like when people say honest. Can I be honest? Honestly. Now, my honest opinion, the, the, the opposite of that, of course, is dishonest. Go back to being dishonest and vague. If I could be frank and honest for a moment, and then after I tell you what I have to tell you, I'm going to go back to being dishonest and vague. And I don't even know what it means. What does frank mean? Abrupt? Clear? To the point? Why wouldn't you always be that way? I guess maybe not abrupt, but I don't think it even means that. I think it means just clean spoken, clear spoken. You know, cutting through the crap. I'm going to go back to the crap now. I'm done. I, I spoke frankly for a minute. It's tiring. I'm going to go back to the ease of, of the crap. So I want you to just understand, I'll be BSing you from this point forward. Should a thought occur to me that is um, honest and genuine, I will then inform you of my intention to speak it frankly. Other than that, you can just consider what I'm saying to be um, nonsense. And people say it all the time. I, I guess I don't say it. I think I would hear myself if I was saying it. And I think part of the reason I think I'm considered weird, and I guess defined by weird, I am, I guess, weird. Because weird is what seems abnormal to a majority of people, I guess. You know, a lot of things seem weird until the majority of people are doing them and then they're not weird anymore. I wonder if they're weird by nature. Or is the nature of them just what most people think? It is an interesting cosmic question. Because I always speak frankly. And I, I, I don't really get in trouble for it. But I think it strikes people as odd. I'm, I'm kind of... I, my switch only has the frank setting. Now, I sometimes don't talk. I'll refrain from saying something. Because I've chosen that I don't want to say it. Or it's better if I don't say it. But when I choose to say something... I would like to think that I always choose to say it frankly. Now, I have a brother, Frank. Technically, he says everything frankly. Automatically. Because he's Frank. And he's Frank. But I digress. What is it that makes something what it is? Is it what most people think it is? Or is it what it is? Is it what most people think it is, or is it what it is? And I guess then the question would be, if it is just what it is, and not what most people think of it, then how do you define what it is? Is it, is it cool? Is it fun? Is it right? I guess ultimately that's the one we get to. Is it right, and is it true? 
yes, that's it right there. Because people argue often about whether or not there is something called universal truth. It exists independent of people's opinions about it. Now you can get into math and science. You can say x equals x or x equals y. You can say 1 plus 1 equals 2. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. If 52% of the people think 1 plus 1 equals 3, it doesn't change and become 3. It just means that 52% of the people are wrong. I don't know why I said 52 instead of 51. But it is an interesting philosophical question that I wonder, you have to be aware of that dynamic in order to even be able to consider it. Um, and I think I'm weird in the sense because I try to understand things as they are, irrespective of what the majority of people might think about it. And so maybe that's frank. Being frank is deciding that you're going to go, uh, you might be going against the grain of 51% of the people. And, and therefore, I guess, entering the territory of weird. I'm on the highway now, in case you hear that. These are the kinds of things that I think about when I listen to people talk. Since I began listening better, I hear a lot better. No, wait. I don't. I still don't know the difference, I guess, between hearing and listening. I guess I know. Sometimes I think they can be used interchangeably. If you hear me, that means that auditorily you're receiving the sound waves. But if you're listening, then your brain is active in the processing of the thing I'm saying. But then I've also heard people say, hearing means understanding the meaning of what I'm saying. Yeah, I know you're listening, but you're not hearing me. Yeah, I know you hear me, but you're not listening. Honestly, I don't know. I have to ask 51% of the people. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right, but then I'll take a break. I'll be back after this.